Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I am Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley, and this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who has somehow never seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files, spoiler-free. Today we are powering through Season 3, Episode 22, Quagmire. It originally aired May 3rd, 1996. It was written by Kim Newton and directed by Kim Manners. We've got the Kim team. Oh. Team Kim. Yeah. How'd that work out? Uh, not well. I do remember that Kim Newton wrote a different episode that was also uh, an absolute mess. Do you remember which one it was? It was Revelations. What was that about? It was one uh, good and evil where Scully becomes an agent, uh, a knight of God at the end of it. I don't They're remember trying to this even a kid. at all. Vaguely remember there was a kid. The guy gets shoved in one of the... Oh, yeah. Man, I do not retain these episodes. Unfortunate. <laughs> all right. So synopsis, I have two. We have from the X-Files wiki fandom. In a small town, Mulder and Scully investigate rumors of a prehistoric lake monster called Big Blue, which I mean... That, that's good. Yes. Also from IMDb, we have Gary KMCD, who does a lot of these. Okay. Scully and Mulder head off to Georgia, where there are reports of people disappearing around a local lake. Scully isn't sure why they're getting involved until she sees a highway sign advertising the local version of the Loch Ness Monster called Big Blue. The latest victim is a Forest Service biologist, giving the FBI jurisdiction, but Scully thinks it's all nonsense. The killings continue, and Mulder thinks there is something very real out there. Scully comes around when she is affected by the monster, in quotes, in a very personal way. Thank you, Gary. Your short synopsis was better written than this entire episode. <laughs> wow. Brutal. Guest starring Chris Ellis as Sheriff Lance Hint. He was the flight director Clark from Armageddon. Uh-oh. I've never seen that movie, but I definitely recognize this You guy. haven't seen Armageddon? No, I was not interested in any of those asteroids hit the planet movies. What are you gonna, how are you going to be prepared? I'm not. We were all watching so we could prepare. I take it back. I saw Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. I don't know what that is. You didn't see Independence Day? Independence Day isn't an asteroid hitting the planet. No, it isn't. It's just one of those big summer blockbusters that's all about the world ending. I think watching that one in the theaters was the reason I checked out of all of the rest of them. What? I did not like that movie. What? And like 15 years later on MySpace, my best friend from high school just randomly messaged me and said, you were right about Independence Day. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's like vindication. That's really funny. I have actual no, no real strong feelings about Independence Day. If you said, hey, you want to watch Independence Day tonight? I would probably say, no. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Weber as Dr. Paul Faraday. Timothy Weber previously played Detective Talbot in the X-Files episode Tombs. Okay. The best, best episode of the X-Files. <laughs> I still think that's Clyde Bruckman. But I knew I recognized him, but I couldn't figure out from where, so... That would explain it. He was also just Harold in Our Town. Definitely didn't see that. That episode? Oh, I thought you meant like a movie called Our Town. No. All right. We also have R. Nelson Brown as Ansel Bray. He was in the 2005 version of The Fog featuring Selma Blair. Just because we talked about The Fog and how it was a movie and then it was a movie again, apparently. Yes. Mark Ach... Mark Aikson? 
that's how it's spelled, as Ted Bertram. He was a suspect in Psych and a <laughs> mailroom guy in Elf. Oh, dang. So at least he had a named part here. Peter Hanlon as Dr. William Bailey. He was, oh my goodness, I misspelled this guy's last name. He was David Wayland, I think, in Psych. So he was also in Psych. Nice. We have Tyler Labine as Stoner Dude. And I just wrote, Dale! <laughs> I Ex- love Tyler Labine. <laughs> Exclamation point. We have Nicole Parker as Stoner Chick. She was nasty number one in The NeverEnding Story 3. <laughs> oh. And Terrence Lee as Snorkel Dude. He was Stunts in Chronicles of Riddick. Is that a character name or, or an occupation? <laughs> I believe it's an occupation. Okay. All right, let's get into it. In Milliken, Georgia, we are not in Georgia, by the way, guys. You know how I know? The trees. Yep. A guy catches a very docile frog. Biologist Paul Faraday and forest ranger or forest service biologist William Bailey argue about nature and the decreasing frog population. Dr. Faraday told Bailey that nature should be preserved not only for future generations, but also out of respect. Unbeknownst to Faraday, Bailey hates frogs he must it must be a personal vendetta it is because why would a forest service guy be like uh climate change i don't believe in any of that people encroaching on the ecosystem of a very a very particular cold-blooded creature fuck the environment can't be that forest service guy (laughs) bailey leaves faraday by the lake But as he reaches his truck, he notices his beeper is missing. Bailey goes looking for the missing beeper somewhere, but not where he was just standing with Faraday, because we don't see Faraday in the cold open ever again. And Bailey ends up getting dragged into the lake by an unseen creature and killed. Close up shot to the frogs he so hates. I hope this one frog is our antagonist for the entire episode. That would have been a good episode. I kept saying in the cold open, I hope it's a D&D style triumph. Yeah. (laughs) So I shift away from frogs to another creature later on, but right now I'm still pro-frog. I am pro-frog. Man, I love frogs. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I love frogs. I love frog sounds. But later, I shift my focus to another creature that it absolutely could be, not because I don't like frogs. Just making that statement up top so no one gets confused. Okay. (laughs) We don't want any confusion. No. Frogs are great. Mulder and Scully investigate the missing person case after Dr. Bailey's body disappears. Whose side will Scully be on now that we know Dr. Faraday is a tree-hugging hippie? I don't know. Right? Nature is dangerous, but so is prejudice. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You're so woke. (laughs) Scully brings along her dog, Queequeg, whose name I hate, and I hate that I have to say it later again. Surely there's a nickname you can get out of Queequeg. That you don't have to say the entire thing every time you call for the dog. I hate it. But she has to bring her dog along because of Mulder's hasty schedule, which I'm certain will end well for all. Also, you know how I feel about kennels is a great line knowing they're headed to the swamp. I don't get it. Oh, that's what she says. Yeah, I know. She says, so her her mom's out of town and all of the dog sitters are booked and she had five minutes to get ready. So she had to bring the dog and you know how I feel about kennels. But she's going to the swamp. How do you feel about small dogs in the swamp, Scully? Just fine. 
How do you feel about small dogs in the swamp in a little while, Scully? <laughs> she feels less fine. If you had to balance them on the scales, the justice scales of a kennel in your local area or a small dog in a swamp, which do you think would be heavier? I don't know. It's not really a swamp, though. It's just a lake. Is it supposed to just be a lake? Yeah. They keep calling it a lake. I guess they do. And it's in Georgia. I don't think there's a lot of swamp in Georgia. There's a lot of different types of land in Georgia because... There is. All along, you have like... You have the brackish water, you have the ocean, and then the brackish water that seeps in, and then you've mm -hmm. got the marshy areas, which, okay, do you want to call it marsh and not swamp? Which I guess is a different thing, but it's all just wet just with alligators. Like <laughs> Mulder tells Scully about the case of another missing person involving a Boy Scout leader. Scully wonders why a missing person's case would attract Mulder's fascination, because she apparently has never met Mulder, until she finds out that the place is the home of a legendary lake monster called... Big Blue. And I feel like this is a stretch even for Fox Mulder. Oh, it absolutely is. I do, however, love the signs leading up to the lake where <laughs> Big Blue is, the what's, big reveal. What's bigger than a hill? Something. Something like that. It's great because it's these little teaser signs that you see on the, the, on the highway if yeah. you're getting closer and closer to an attraction and it's like revealing a little bit more a little bit more and then by the time you know what it is and how close you are you're only 25 miles away you have to go <laughs> you've been watching and reading you've been watching for and reading these signs for the last three hours and you're bored out of your mind and you've got to stop anyway so you might as well go see whatever this is it's like bucky's <laughs> it's not like bucky's because bucky's is way better I disagree. You get beaver nuggets at Bucky's. You do get beaver nuggets at Bucky's, but it's more like the um, the Bigfoot Museum that we went to in Georgia. Oh, no. we You planned that. Well, I did plan it because that's the kind of person I am. Yeah. I don't need a billboard. Exactly. But if there had been a bunch of billboards, it would have been more like that. Uh, Bucky's is just the Walmart of a gas station. Bucky's is the Disneyland of a gas station. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. That's what I said before. Yes. I was more correct in the past than I am in the future. It happens. Yeah. All right. They stop by Dr. Faraday's lab. He's not interested in their shit. Scully is wearing a suit that actually looks tailored for once in this entire show. Good job, wardrobe person. Dr. Faraday accuses Mulder of chasing fairy tales, which is pretty hilarious because true. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about their... I liked Dr. Faraday. I, he's a scientist. He's concerned about the environment. And he... Does not have time for this nonsense. Yeah, it was a bunch of nonsense. They were accusing him of stuff, and he was like, so are you specifically accusing me of this? Do you want to just cut to the chase? He had that line that was something like, both of you are bad at getting to the point. Yes, it was pretty great. Because <laughs> he didn't have time for either of their nonsense. It was fantastic. It was. It was Just because good. I didn't like the guy doesn't mean I murdered him. Oh, yeah, that was the big thing. So you were the last person to see him, which, fair, you need to go talk to the last person who saw a person alive. You have to. But that does not mean <laughs> that doesn't they mean him. they killed him. Oh well, I hear that you didn't like him. Yeah, I didn't like him, and I was the last person to see him. And then he left, and then I played with my frogs for a little bit longer, and then I left. The yep. end. <laughs> and now he's gone, and I'm not sad. You don't seem too broken up about it. I'm not. You don't have to be broken up about someone you don't like disappearing. It does not mean I killed him. You can be, you know, you can be distressed for his situation or concerned for his family. You don't even have to be. That. You don't have to be. You can. But you can just also just be like, whatever. Interesting. 
The end. <laughs> <laughs> the end. All right. Next, Mulder and Scully go to a local bait shop and ask what the bait shop owner believes. After selling Mulder the equivalent of a hand-drawn map to the lake for $2.50, which is almost $5 today. Was it hand-drawn? It was basically. Oh. It I was a print. It didn't was. didn't pay too much attention to it. I thought it was like a legit road atlas. No, it was not a road atlas. If it was a road That's atlas, hilarious. I would not have looked it up. I would have been like, that makes sense. That's no. so funny. It was one of those pamphlets that you get that they print out at these types of attractions. And it was basically $5 to oh, get him to. like to- a campground. Yeah. No. Okay. Hilarious. Yeah. Two fifty for that. Printed off at the Xerox machine. Awesome. One side has a couple of things about like why the lake is named this and what the campground situation is like and where you can fish and where you can't fish and then a bunch of advertisements or whatever. And yeah. that's what it was. Five bucks. Great. I love it. So that's what he buys. Um, the agents ask about what they think about Big Blue. Basically, the locals enjoy the publicity because it brings in tourists like them. And they're like, we're not tourists, we're FBI. And then Scully's like, well, I'm FBI. And he's, I guess, technically FBI, but he's also really just a tourist. So in this situation, I guess he's the tourist here. The accidental tourist. And then he buys a bunch of t-shirts and souvenirs. Big foam finger. He would, but he doesn't have anybody in his life besides Scully. Okay. Think about it. Look, that's not a reason to not buy a big foam finger. That is a reason to buy a big foam finger. I said a bunch of t-shirts first. You were thinking about what you were going to say and not listening to what I was saying. So You can get a bunch of different t-shirts. From the same thing? Yeah, I would have gotten a lot of those Lost Sea t-shirts, but I didn't. I just got one. I don't know why. Why would you have gotten a bunch and you didn't? Because some of them are cool. Right. Why didn't you get them, though? You don't need it. Need it. Like, I've only got one shirt from the Bat Conservancy, too. Yeah, that was a really cool place. All right. Well, a local man has a story about Big Blue eating his cow, and that has just driven him to make it his goal to photograph Big Blue and make a movie. But despite his persistent efforts to get that photograph, and out of hundreds of photos taken, remember, this is all on film, too. This is an expensive hobby. Yeah. He has been unsuccessful. Shortly, um, well, actually not shortly after, but actually while they are there talking, a guy fishes for the bottom half of the Boy Scout. Catches him a big one. He does. Pulls him to the surface. It turns out to be half of the Boy Scout troop. Mulder and Scully discuss nature and say that while we may eat them, they ultimately eat us, which reminds me of the fake deep video we just watched. And this is a nothing conversation. Uh-huh. The halved body is not enough evidence for Scully because she's right. It's not really evidence of anything yet. (laughs) It's evidence of a body being bisected. It isn't evidence of Big Blue or anything else. There's not going to be evidence of Big Blue. She believes that a possible propeller in some kind of boat could have done that much damage. It's what the sheriff said happens eight to nine times per season. Your lake needs to be shut down. You're killing nine people a year. And he did say it's people getting drunk and falling off their boats and drowning. Probably not the propeller bit all of those times, but... Your lake is dangerous. He did also say it's got something like 48 miles Miles of of shoreline. shoreline. That means it's, let's just say it's a perfect rectangle. That's not a lot of square footage. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like a lot of... I don't know how many deaths happen... In a large lake every year, but this seems like a lot. It does. He was so nonchalant about it. He's like, yeah, 
people get drunk and fall off their boats and drown like for a month during the summer. (laughs) (laughs) The square mileage on that plus the population density uh, coming out to nine deaths per season, not even per year. That's astronomical. That's That's worse than like the highest crime rate uh, city in the country. It's a lot. And he was just so chill about it. He's like, whatever. This happens constantly. Do you know how many halves of dead bodies I've seen in my time? (laughs) 74. Apparently. Even if it didn't have the man, he would have been finished off by the nibbling biting of local fish, is what someone says. And then Mulder says, were they saving the other half for later? Because only one half, one half of the body is gone. The other half of the body is in jeans. So you know what? doesn't get between that guy and his calvins. <laughs> you know what does? Tiny little fish. <laughs> yes. You know what does save food for later? Alligators? Yeah. That's true. It is true. Look at your cup, too. St. Augustine Alligator Farm? What a wild coincidence. It's amazing. On the contrary, Mulder believes that this mystical creature is a prehistoric dinosaur. By the way, as I was prepping for this episode, this is the saddest sentence I've read. <laughs> My heart sank. It, whatever. Mulder believes in aliens, so he's going to believe in any type of alien and other cryptids. This is just too, this it's, is a step too far for me. It's too much. And he goes hard. I didn't pull any of the quotes because I. it's just too depressing. Yeah. But he goes hard. It's, oh my God. Oh my god, you know what this remind this episode reminds me of? What's that? Quantum Bigfoot. Yes. <laughs> you were gonna do a report on that one. <laughs> I will, if you guys want it. Alright, so something has been attacking people because it is being oh, this is what Mulder thinks. Mulder thinks <laughs> that this prehistoric creature has been attacking people because it is being forced to protect itself from colonization. Not alien, but human. Of course. Reasonable. The frog population was also dying out, meaning that the creature was being driven into the woods to find alternative food sources. The water was being polluted and being used by more people. All right. All of that is reasonable except the except the dinosaur part. So we return to this once again. What does the X-Files think about environmentalism? <laughs> <laughs> I got to think that they're on board with... This thing being driven out of its home is bad. It's still so hard because at the end, they haven't resolved anything. They haven't fixed anything. They haven't even talked about fixing anything. Not about the environment, but they fixed the problem with the episode. I guess. Yeah. There was a resolution. (laughs) All right. Later that night, the guy from the bait shop walks around with big blue feet on to make tracks for the gullible locals and tourists. That's all fine until karma comes for him. Ah, oh, this isn't karma. This is this is a karma chameleon. I don't actually think that he should have been. No. I think this is. I think this is hilarious. Yeah. If we had gone to the Bigfoot Museum in Georgia and there were Bigfoot feet tracks around every like outside, outside, obviously someone wearing Bigfoot feet in mud. It wasn't muddy, so you couldn't really do it in this situation, but. That would have been amazing. I'd have been like, this is such a great touch. Yeah. So honestly, awesome. Good job. I would buy one of your 1095 t-shirts. Yeah. Even if it wasn't the soft kind. I liked this guy. He was pretty great. But rip that guy. 
Though initially I said, good job for not yanking him out of those boots that were definitely stuck in the mud. <laughs> oh, wait, Queequeg gets away from Scully at some point and finds the feet. So, all right. Well, then we meet the two from the cockroach episode. Youngdale is licking a frog. Ty Levine. While the woman with him is skeptical. Young, it's like male stoner, female stoner, I think yeah. were their names. She's like, I don't think so. And he, I don't think I want to do that. And he's like, you got to lick it. And she, <laughs> and he licks it. And she's like, is that even a toad? It isn't. It's a frog. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because of what they were doing and how skeptical she was and how much he really wanted to he, believe this, wanted I was like, "Oh, young Mulder and Scully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I did not put that together. That's, you know, that is a nice touch. Good job this episode for that. <laughs> they are interrupted. These two are interrupted by a snorkeler who spooks the docile frog, but is eaten before he can replace it with another. As soon as he popped his head out and he was friends with Tyler Bean, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, this guy. It's not good to be friends with these two. It isn't. These two seem to be okay, but anyone else in their vicinity. I hope they keep showing up. That would like, be amazing. A couple times a season, just for five minutes in an episode. <laughs> And whoever their new friend is dies. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, bummer. <laughs> and they're just too stoned to <laughs> help so, much. Yep. Great. <laughs> Which is my next sentence. The two are too stoned to be of much help. Though the sheriff still believes it was a boat prop. That is, until the sheriff is ganked into the water. Well, that's a, way later. A, no, it happens in the next scene. No, oh, this is after another person dies. Who dies? Ansel, the photographer. No, he dies after... Oh, he does die in between. Yeah. There's a lot of people who die in this episode. <laughs> Lots of death. So, any, but anyway, that's really the what happens. They go... He, yeah, he, do, he doesn't believe it until that happens. That's true. That is a true sentence. That and also, said. that scene is so fast. Do you have anything specific to say about that scene? I can't remember if the, where it took place, actually. He was setting up to get a picture of Big Blue. He had an inner tube in the water that was covered in meat. And then like instead of do. going for the meat, he gets pulled into the water. No, the, it comes out of the, the gator water. The gator comes out and gets Ansel. Then they're looking at the scene. And, uh, oh, uh, the sheriff is like throwing a grappling hook into the water. For some... Oh, yeah, because he's, he's trying to dredge the body out of it. Yes, he's trying to dredge the body with a grappling hook. Yeah. And yeah. he says, hold on, give me a few more minutes and I'll get this done. But then he gets ganked into the water, then which is ganked. literally right at the same time. Yeah. But as you pointed out, you're like, holy shit, he got pulled all the way. Like 20 in. feet. He got, he, he got yanked 20 feet out from the shoreline. He did. And then had to swim back. And, and no. The no. gator was strong enough to yank him out that far and then not really interested in killing him. Maybe because he just ate. But why would he? He's just oh, fucking you know what? with the sheriff. Maybe the sheriff grabbed onto him and with the grappling hook yeah. and he yanked it off of. Of his body or like swooshed his tail or something. I don't know. There's literally no movement in the water of any yeah. of this. Nothing actually <laughs> is such, happening. It's so poorly shot. It really is. There's a lot. So much of this. Oh my God. And this is Kim Manners too. And so much of it is poorly shot. I wonder what he has to say about this episode. If he was just like, this is a bunch of bullshit. I don't want to do it. Because <laughs> he's normally pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. This whole episode, everything about this episode was bad. Yeah. Weird. Very weird. Well, all right. So the sheriff gets pulled into the water. 
something touches him and now he's decided that it's time to shut down the entire lake, which he was adamant about four minutes ago that couldn't be done because of how large it is and the National Guard would need to be called in. But now that a fish touched him, he has to... (laughs) (laughs) to Something's gotta be done! Nothing... I just want to be clear here. He's in the water and something brushed up against him. It didn't nibble on him. It didn't bite him. It didn't grab him. There's no blood. There's nothing. It was something big, though. But I do want to tell you, I fully agree. Shut down all of the lakes. Shut down this lake for sure. Don't let anybody in lakes because you know what happens when you get in lakes? Something can brush up against you. It's true. Do you know where my my least favorite place to be in the whole world is? The water. Especially fresh water. You know what's in fresh water? Alligators. Monsters. <laughs> we live in Florida. Literally alligators yeah. are in every body of fresh water. I have this weird thing with alligators. Like I'm not on this. Obviously, I'm not going to go bother alligators. Yeah. I know not to do that. And I'm going to give them a wide berth if I see them. But if I see an alligator, I'm just like, oh, there's an alligator. Like, sup? I'm going to do that little chin lift thing. Mm-hmm. Pretend like I have a hat on. <laughs> Tip your hat. <laughs> yeah. Say, milady. <laughs> but I don't want to be in the water. Something might touch me. It's true. It could be a fish. It could be one of those alligator gar. Have you seen those things? Those things are nasty. Those are so scary. You know what? Even worse than an alligator, because an alligator is probably not going to bother with you in most circumstances, minus this one, snapping turtles. Snapping turtles will come at you just for existing. Yeah, that's true. They will. That and water moccasins, they will also come at you for looking at them. Or not looking at them. If they see you, you're you're free reign. It's better to stay out of the water, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The two agents decide to have a little stakeout or something while Mulder looks through all of the crappy, unclear pictures taken by the determined local who lost his cow and then his life to whatever's in the lake. Scully takes Queequeg out for a walk. Unfortunately, it's his last because for some reason she refuses to even try to hold on to that leash. Her grip strength is so terrible. That dog weighs all of three pounds Mm -hmm. and it just, yoink, right out of her hand. You know what happened right before she took the dog for a walk? She was eating a stick of butter barehanded. (laughs) Maybe, but here's what I was thinking. She was in there in the stakeout and getting really bored. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to sit on my hands until I lose all feeling <laughs> in my hands. She was planning on doing something different. No, she just had wants, to take the dog. She out. just she just wanted to make her hands go numb. So she's just sitting on her hands looking at these photos she doesn't want to look at. But it's just like another thing to do. And then the dog needs to go out and she's like, oh, shit. OK, well, I'll go take the dog out. And she tries to hold on to the leash, but she can't because now her hand doesn't have any blood in it. <laughs> That's as good an explanation as anything else. Other than she straight up Willy wonk at it. The dog took off and she went, oh, don't stop. Come back. Honestly, that's how she feels about this dog. She has no warmth for this dog in any of the scenes she's in with this dog. It's obvious she doesn't like this dog. All right. So anyway, that happens. Scully never does see what bit through the dog's leash or what got the, the dog, Mulder, being as sympathetic as he can, which isn't much, decides to go out for a boat ride and quench this mystery once and for all. He also asks Scully if she can drive a boat, which... Yeah, her dad was a boat guy. 
That means it's instinctive. Sure. <laughs> and then I wrote, please note, a small dog is not equivalent food to a human man or a bunch of frogs. The range of things that whatever this is is going after is like, oh, all of the frogs are, are gone. Let me go after an entire human is a jump. Yeah. Frog to fluffy dog. It's a, that's it's a good stopgap. It's, it's a better range. Yeah. <laughs> Production note. This episode marks the final appearance of Scully's dog, Queequeg. Clearly. <laughs> which was previously seen in Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose and War of the Copperphages. In a 2013 Ask Me Anything forum on Reddit, Jillian Anderson joked, or perhaps not, that she was not sorry to see Queequeg go. Quote, that dog killed people with its farts, and it deserved to die a nasty death in the mouth of that alligator or whatever it was. Ugh, I had to shampoo it or walk away every few seconds because these puffs of nastiness kept happening. Oh, Jesus. Unquote. Which, to me, means that someone was not feeding that dog no. proper food. Yeah, whoever that dog's handler is, is bad. And I have to say, that dog's handler was not the same handler as who did all of the cockroaches because that woman worked with so many cockroaches and none of them died except that one of old age. Yeah. Which is my favorite. Good X-Files fact. Just, a, just It's my favorite fact of all of the X-Files so far. It's a good one. That and now I know how to hotwire a car. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Shh. <laughs> don't tell anybody that. So they go out on the boat. While driving the boat, Mulder notices something on the radar. It's big and fast, coming straight for them. Whatever was in the water crashed into the side of their boat, forcing them to abandon ship. Scully is on the radio fast, yelling, Mayday! Mayday! While Mulder fumbles with the hole, but quickly abandons that idea and grabs life jackets. Good heads up move. Yeah. This part made sense. Everybody did something. All right. The two stand on a rock while the boat sinks. In water that in five minutes from now will be ankle deep, but whatever. Well... That was my first thought is why on earth is there just a big rock in the middle of this lake? And isn't it reasonable to think that they ran into that if it is actually out there? But the rock wouldn't have been coming at them fast. It wouldn't have been, but they'd have been coming at it fast. I think that they don't know how to read the fish radar. <laughs> I don't. I also don't. But I think that they also don't. No, Nobody knows how to read the fish radar. So I wish Riley was down here to tell us how to read the fish radar. <laughs> Damn but it. He refuses to watch any of these. <laughs> uh, why? This aired 10 years before he was born. <laughs> well, they rest on the rock in the middle of the lake, or what they think is the middle of the lake, um, and that the water is too deep. Though Mulder wants to swim in the dark water that's harboring the dark blue dinosaur he believes in. I don't know why I wrote a dark blue dinosaur, but that's what I wrote. While sitting there, Mulder and Scully have a conversation... Scully talks about her dad and his respect for the sea and nature, and Mulder delves into his beliefs on cannibalism and life. So I can't stop from just sighing so loud I can't hear anything on the TV when this stuff comes up. So I had to look up. So Scully's always like, my military dad was super into nature, right? Yeah, yeah. well, anything that has to do with dads and you're kind of out. For whatever reason, this, I am rolling my eyes and sighing so hard. I don't know anything that they talked about. What I did instead was I wondered how much pollution can be attributed to the U.S. military. Uh, most of it. Yeah. 
So in The Guardian, is the U.S. military the biggest polluter? A 2019 report found that the Department of Defense is not only the largest consumer of energy in the U.S., but is also the world's largest institutional consumer of petroleum and thus the world's largest institutional emitter of greenhouse gases. And look, I understand we all have to work for somebody and most of the companies we work for suck, especially when it comes to, well, human rights and the environment and paying fair wages and everything. Everything sucks. So I get it. You got to have a job and you might like nature and then you might work for a company that doesn't. But I'm so tired of this line. My dad, he super respected the water. He did. That's why he joined the Navy, to pollute the water. But it's like, can you show, not tell? Because they can't. Well, no. They can't be like, oh, man. Growing up, my dad was around all the time, and we went to do this thing, and it was great. You know, he really became a different person when he was on the water. No, it's just my dad was in the military, he was a military man, and he liked nature. Let me talk about Moby Dick. That's what they had. They shared that book. So I also looked up Moby Dick, because I'm so tired of Moby Dick coming up. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) But, so... Fine. If you like Moby Dick, fine. I've read it. It's fine. I would never walk around quoting it, but whatever. I did did find out that Moby Dick was a total flop at first, which is interesting because a lot of stuff that people seem to just not even instinct, not not even actually like, but think that they like, like um, It's a Wonderful Life, were all huge flops in the beginning. But then based on exposure to that, well, now they start to think that they really like it, even the, though they've never actually thought about it before. The copyright on It's a Wonderful Life expired. Right. And so it was super cheap to to, to run. Air. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's in Christmas tradition now. Yes. But I keep, I heard people like, oh, it's my favorite movie. And I'm like, is it? Or have you never actually thought about your real answer to this question? Because I bet it's that. But also, usually when people say it, I'm like, we're co-workers and I don't actually care about what your actual answer is. Um, anyway, so Moby Dick sold only sold 500 copies in the United Kingdom when it first came out, compared to 6,700 for Melville's first book called Typey, which I thought was an interesting tidbit. Yeah, that's a weird drop-off. It really is. So... I don't know what the first book's about, since nobody talks about it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on everyone. Moby Dick made it. Well, I'm just glad it did, because now we have the wonderful music of his great-grandnephew. Herman Melville's great-grandnephew? Yeah. Moby. Is that how Moby's name name is Moby? Yeah. Yeah. See? A thing I've never thought about. Yep. Even a little bit. They are related? Yeah, I don't know that it's great-grandnephew, but it's something like that. Hmm. I wish I had a rich and famous somebody in my past. Me too. I would like to be a nepotism baby. It'd be great. Scully compares Mulder to Captain Ahab, being so driven to find the answer that it will destroy his life and ultimately kill him. Which actually is a... All right, so the story behind Moby Dick is compelling. I'm just... I think I'm just done with it in the X-Files. Well, I think... It took her way too long to come to this conclusion. That's her favorite book and her favorite guy, apparently. I mean, it's it's right there. It's a one-to-one. It really is. Comparison. And I feel like we've already done this in the other episodes where this has come up. I don't think she compared him to Ahab directly until just now. Did we do it? 
I don't think so. Probably not. That seems too smart for us. <laughs> Mulder doesn't notice the criticism, but rather how Scully is able to know and list everything about him through the analogy. Production note, Darren Morgan reportedly made uncredited contributions to the script, particularly the conversation on the rock. Hence, there are several references to the previous season three episodes. Uh. Dr. Faraday discovers them sitting on the rock because they're fairly close to shore. It's all very absurd. It makes a lot of sense. It really does. Um, there's a good exchange here again where Dr. Faraday is the only per the only adult in the room. Yeah. And they're like, wait, why are you out here? And he's like, because the frogs that I've been studying for the last three years. Again, they want to accuse him of something. Right. And again, he's like, right now. Shut up. Yeah. How did you come to rescue us? He's like, I didn't come to rescue you. I could just hear you guys talking from the shore. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I brought a flashlight with me out here. Why did you guys not bring a flashlight? (laughs) They did have a lantern. It burnt out eventually. But. Why didn't they just have... They always have flashlights. You just talked about recently how flashlights are the third and fourth characters in this. Well, they were in the boat. They didn't have time to grab them from the boat, I guess. Shrug. All right. Frogs. Shrug. (laughs) All right. Well, whatever. Like I said, it's all very absurd. Later on, Faraday is attacked by something in the woods. Later on that night, still on the same night, he is hurt, but does manage to survive. And I've decided it's armadillos now. That's right, you did say armadillos. <laughs> All right, and so the reason I said armadillos is because we recently went camping up in around the Gainesville area, and we, <laughs> as the sun was setting, we saw all the deer, and yeah. then once the sun <laughs> okay. set, we just kept hearing these things walking through the through the leaves, and we're like, I've never heard deer be so noisy, and for a good half hour. For a long time. We yeah. were... We were Expecting to shine a light and see a deer. And we just kept shining lights and seeing nothing but whatever was walking through the the leaves. And so there was a lot of the rustling in this episode. And so I was like, never mind, it's armadillos. (laughs) Because eventually you finally shined a light on one of them, realizing it must not be as big as a deer. It must be something smaller. And it was an armadillo. And man, they were just everywhere. Is this the scene, are they talking to Faraday when Mulder says something about how it's survived for thousands of years? I think so. These people who believe in the plesiosaur being in Lake Champlain and Loch Ness and other places, Mm -hmm. what do they think the lifespan of the dinosaurs was? Because if there's one of these things, it's not reproducing. It's never made sense to me, but it's also one of those things I just can't hold my attention on for it's, long enough for me to even yeah. play that fun little game. It's the only cryptid that genuinely annoys me. Hmm. Look, guys, there are monsters in the lakes. They're just not. It's just not a plesiosaur. <laughs> and you know what? What? We all know there are monsters in the lakes. Yes. Sometimes people fish them out. Scary looking fish or alligators or turtles. I see those just in retention ponds in neighborhoods all the time. Or snakes or amoeba or skinny bacteria. bacteria. (laughs) Stay out of the water, guys. Mulder races after the creature into the dark away from his two companions because that's what you should do when someone's being attacked in the middle of the night. The creature surprises and charges Mulder, who empties his gun into it before it finally dies. Yeah, but here's the thing. Alligators can run at 40 miles an hour. I don't think he'd have had time. I don't either. Also, I was wondering... That was also an in-joke between us. Oh, I know. (laughs) I meant to look it up, but I don't think alligators tend to hunt at 1 a.m. 
Probably not. I'm not going to bother looking up either because I don't go out in the lakes at 1 a.m. No, just don't do that. Yeah, just don't do that. It's so easy. It's so easy to not do that. But also, also, this isn't how alligators behave. No, they absolutely will not bother humans if humans are not bothering them or their nests. Right. Don't feed an alligator. Because then they'll get used to humans being... Humans equal food. food. That is a whole separate situation. If an alligator comes at a human because another human's been feeding it, look, that's a human problem. That is not an alligator <laughs> fault. <laughs> but it's... They got the trees wrong and they got the alligator behavior wrong. What am I even going to do with this? I don't know. <laughs> All right. So bang, bang, bang. It's an alligator. Blah. Disappointed, he and Scully have one last look at the lake. Scully tells Mulder that there are more mysteries out there to be solved and that just because this adventure didn't support his theory, he shouldn't give up. <laughs> Which is wild. Why? Yeah. Give up on this one, Mulder. But don't give up in general. Right. Um, as they turn away, the real big blue, indeed a plesiosaur-like creature, rises up from the water to watch them before diving back down below the surface, unnoticed by either Mulder or Scully or those 30 boats the sheriff says he's got on the water <laughs> looking for something at 1 a.m., which also isn't happening. What did you think about this ending? Well, I involuntarily yelled, oh, fuck off. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that sums it up. Yeah. My initial thought was, that's cheap. Yeah. It was such a cheap way to end this. But Scully says people want to believe. They sure do. Yeah. I think I wouldn't have a problem with Mulder believing in Loch Ness Monsters if the tone of the series overall wasn't so serious. It's so hard to get into the more silly episodes because the tone overall is so serious. If it was just silliness all around. Right. Then, yeah, this would fit wonderfully, and it'd probably be a lot of fun. Going back to one of the one of the series mentioned up in the, the cast section, Psych. Psych is super silly. And mm -hmm. so sometimes he's pulling out, oh, I've noticed all of these things. And you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, fine. You know what? <laughs> because you're going to do a little dance in a little while, and it's all going to be silly, and then you're going to roll on the floor, and then you're going to steal your friend's food, and we're all going <laughs> to laugh about it. And so, sure. Yeah. You know how many hats were in that stadium. Yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the tone. Yeah. The tone is fun, lighthearted. You get into some serious bits, but you don't stay there too long. And then you come out and you're just like, it's all a little bit hyper realistic. So it's super fun. Yeah. They do, specifically Darren Morgan, does a good job yeah. of making the silliness fit. Yes. This silliness just doesn't fit. Right. And it, it must... Obviously, it's his his style and tone, but it also seems to be he knows he knows comedic timing. Yeah. And oh my gosh, like in the circus episode when Scully is in the um, the circus museum, yes. and the guy is like, and he's he's telling her some some serious stuff, and. For five dollars more, you can see a thing that people have never that never have never seen before, would never believe, or whatever. Yeah. And she falls for it, and you can tell that she's hesitantly falling for it because she's like, "I shouldn't fall for this, but I'm all like, I am sold." Uh -huh. all, right, all right, here's my five dollars, and it pays off immediately. Yeah, and that is fun because there's some serious bits, and then there's some 
levity and it all flows. And everybody's in on the joke, I think, is the, the other bit. Yeah. I don't think this is supposed to be funny. Right. But it's just silly. Which is why Darren Morgan knows what the X-Files should be. Because it is supposed to be funny. Yes. If it was lighthearted, even... You can have your heartfelt episodes. We have we did that in the 90s all the time. A very special Punky Brewster. Yes. Cherry doesn't know how to read. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's I think that's our problem with The X-Files. One of our biggest problems is that probably because there are so many different writers and no one knows what the tone is, I think some people want it to be super serious and some people, like Darren Morgan, yeah. know that... It should be fun. Yes. We're having... We're talking about serious, potentially serious things. People are dying. There's there's a lot of stuff in the world that you can be serious about. But we can also talk about it and everybody can be in on the joke about how ridiculous this is. Or Mulder can just really sincerely believe there's a prehistoric dinosaur in this lake in Georgia <laughs> that no one has ever seen. Uh-huh. And somehow this giant animal has evaded everyone's notice on this lake that is so popular 10 people a season die here (laughs) and it's okay that's fine it's not even a big enough percentage for it to be a problem for anybody (laughs) yeah personally for me i i think most cryptids are a lot of fun and i don't believe in any of them but i like you know the media surrounding them and everything this is the one cryptid I absolutely, positively cannot get behind. They don't even make it fun in this episode. No. Nothing about this episode's fun. How are you surviving? Uh, Serpentine running motion. No, you can't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. That's not true. Zigzag. (laughs) I am standing my ground against armadillos like I did in Gainesville. Good job. Which, honestly, what that means is I talk whenever I'm trying to... (laughs) <laughs> go off into the woods where I know a, a possum, or not a possum, an armadillo is. I'm just talking to it the whole time. Hey, guy, I'm coming over here. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just coming in this direction, and you're also over here in this direction. <laughs> you got to treat those armadillos like you do grizzly bears. <laughs> just talk to them the yeah. whole time. Let them know you're there. You don't want to startle an armadillo. That could end in disaster. That's right. Who are you shipping? Uh, nobody. I hated everything. I am shipping Scully in one of those grip strength <laughs> things. <laughs> you, don't, you don't like that she just sits on her hands until I fall asleep? <laughs> she did not put any effort into not letting that dog go. No. Oh my gosh. That dog weighs less than our cats. Oh, it, was, it was so ridiculous. It was wild. Uh, anyway. Boo this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at TheCastFiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things artistic wonderful things we are raising the bar on podcasting we would love you forever for that we have a t public store you can go buy t-shirts and stuff there music by hal six logo by at Uka art that's o-o-k-a-a-r-t 